0: The title for the message this afternoon is Binding the Strong Man. Binding the Strong Man, and that should make you think of a scripture and we're actually going to wait and we will end with that scripture, Binding the Strong Man. But in this present age, Satan has been allowed access to humanity. And he has used that access To undermine and to interfere with human beings' development, their human potential, their development into fully spirit-born children of God. Now, human beings, you, me, are guilty of allowing Satan's influence to lead them into disobedience. We all have to take responsibility, but... Satan's guilt, because he's got guilt as well, is unique. His guilt is unique. Why? Because his guilt is not shared with any other. No one led him astray. No one led Satan astray. His rebellion against God was of his own imagination. So he's unique. And there are some unique things to consider about him in the future. When Jesus Christ returns, he will return to administer the rule of God on earth. And his first executive order is to depose Satan and to confine him, to bind the strong man. To confine him so that he has no ability or access to influence humanity for 1,000 years. The source of deception, and evil thinking will be removed. And the earth will experience what it's like to live without Satan for that 1,000 years. The removal of Satan. The binding of the strong band is pictured by the fifth biblical festival. That is, the Day of Atonement. Go with me to Leviticus 16, verse 20. Verse 20 through 22 says, When Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar... He shall bring forward the live goat, and he is to lay both hands on the head of the goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And then he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. On the Day of Atonement, the the goat, the Azazel goat, is cast out, the goat for going away. He is cast out into the wilderness, carrying the sins of the nation of Israel on its head. Carrying that special guilt, if you will, that special responsibility that Satan bears on his head. And This is a prophecy of a future moment in history. Think of it that way. It is a moment in history when Satan will be seized by the angelic servants of God and will be bound and cast into a bottomless pit and sealed over. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth you who once laid low the nations. And you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. And I will ascend above the tops of the cloud to make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Remember, this is God speaking. To the morning star. Kind of laying it out, this is what you've done, and this is what I'm going to do as a result. You are brought down to the realm of the dead to the depths of the pit. Satan's role in introducing sin into our world will be addressed, and the strong man will be bound. How did Satan get here? How did Satan get here in the first place? Well, we just uh, we just read that Satan was there. He was fallen from heaven, and Satan is present on earth because he rebelled. He rebelled against God, and he does not repent. Now God did not destroy Satan at that time. He did not. God demoted Satan. He sent him into exile. And if you are reading in, uh, let's see, I brought my NIV, so it would have been good to have the King James, but it says Sheol, does it not? In, In your New King James, it probably says Sheol. It says you are brought down to the depths of Sheol and you are put into the depths of the pit. Sheol is a Hebrew word and one of the meanings of Sheol, it means grave, but it also means a place of exile. A place of exile. So realm of the dead, yeah, that's a, that's a possible translation of it, but it also means a place of exile, which if you think about it, makes a lot more sense if you're talking about Satan because Satan isn't dead. That place of exile is earth. And he has fallen from a former position of honor and service in the throne room of God. I mean, previously he had been one of the uh, Caribbean who... Covered the throne of God, shaded it, I don't know, with his wings. He was in a position of great honor. But now he's fallen from that. Let's take a look at the nature of Satan's fall. Satan's fall. Go to Ezekiel 28. And let's start in verse 12 through 17. God speaking again, and this is a verse that is referring to Satan. Although it is somewhat cloaked, it says things that could only be about Satan. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. So Satan was created good. I've gone through that previously with you. It says you were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, and on the day you were created, you were prepared. You were ready, ready for service. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. So he had an ordained position from God. You were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the fiery stones, and you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. So Satan was created good, but turned bad. Something happened. Reading on, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So, I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian Carib, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you down to earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. So Satan's fall was a loss of status. he had this fantastic position. Ordained to very, you know, very important, honored role. So his fall was a loss of status, but it was also a moral fall. Previously he had been beautiful, perfect. But his fall was also a moral failure. He was beautiful perfect, and he had a mind that was capable and creative. But he became corrupted in his mind. Based on what we read here, he became obsessed with how awesome he was, because he was awesome. <laughs> but he came, became wrapped up in himself, in his own awesomeness, until he could no longer accept the idea of anyone over and above him. I'm any man's equal, or anyone's equal, you know, that sort of thing. Even his creator. And he rebelled. So, on one hand, he was ejected from the throne room of God. But on the other hand, he departed by his own choice to reject the authority of God. So, that's the nature of his fall. Not only a loss of position and status, but also a moral failing falling from perfection to corruption. What about what I'm going to call the geography of Satan's fall? The geography of Satan's fall. Satan fell from honor and he fell from glory in heaven to exile and confinement on earth. Scripture, when it speaks of Satan, does not link Satan with some sort of subterranean underworld, uh, the idea that Satan lives in this realm, um, which is sort of a vast system of caves and caverns and stuff like that under the crust of the earth, that is from human tradition. That is not from scripture. It simply is not. As a little little side detour here, I'll, I'll just let you know, I've been looking and reading about this for the past couple of years. In pagan and uh, folk religion, which are, you know kind of the same thing, evil became connected with the underworld. Because, if you think about it, it makes sense here, dead bodies were buried underground. Okay? This is supposition, but I think it's pretty logical. That's how people started to think of this realm of evil, because the dead were buried underground. And death, the ultimate evil, well, death took you underground, because you were buried in the earth. That's the connection. And it's grown from there. And it's basically coming from human reasoning and human traditions. And people have these ideas. And when people have these ideas, they're deep down inside them and deep down inside their parents and their family and their culture and their society. They don't want to give them up. Because that means, oh, I have to admit that I was wrong. So people had these ideas and then they come to the Scriptures and, in my opinion, creatively, very creatively, force them back into the Scriptures. Because a plain reading of Scripture doesn't give you that message at all. It's an idea that is foreign to Scripture, because Scripture clearly depicts Satan and the demons as active on earth. They are in the realm of the living, doing their dirty work, if you will. Go to Job 1, verses 6 through 7. Job 1, verses 6 through 7 say, On the day that the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, saying, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. So, although Satan has been removed from his position of honor, in the heavenly throne room of God, he still has access to the throne room of God. Here, he appears before God, along with other angelic beings, to make some sort of a report on his activities. Another place you could look at where this scenario is, is portrayed is in First Kings chapter 22, verses 19 through 23. And if you think about it, it makes sense because Satan is, what, the accuser, is he not? And to accuse, well, he is allowed to present himself before God to make his accusations. However, his access is controlled, comes at God's good pleasure, presumably when he is summoned. Don't know that for sure, but everything that happens is at God's good pleasure. Go to Luke 10, verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17. And read through verse 20. The scenario here Jesus has sent out 70 of the, his followers to go forth and to announce that he's coming let these towns and villages know that he's coming so they're ready so they're prepared and they come back to him and they make their report and in verse 17 we read the 72 returned with joy and said lord even the demons submit to us in your name there's another example of the demons you know they're active and they're doing their thing Above ground, among humans, they're not in a subterranean realm. In verse eighteen, Jesus replies, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Bammo, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, however." Don't rejoice that the spirits, the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the disciples they'd been assigned to go in advance to all these towns that he was planning to visit and they were returned and they were very excited. They were very excited at the idea that as mere human beings, they were able to exert power over demons. And they were able to exert that power over demons when they invoked the authority of Jesus. And he tells them, okay, don't get too excited about that. What's more important is that your names are written in the book of life. You know, and there's a tendency when you start thinking about demons and Satan, it's fascinating, isn't it? Ooh, it's fascinating. And they were very excited about it. You can get very excited about, oh, wow, I've learned this about demons and Satan. And let's consider Jesus' words, which are, okay, good, good. But what's important is that your names are written into the book of life and you have an eternal future to look forward to. But Jesus also in this verse, and this is why I picked it, refers to the demotion and exile of Satan. And says, I saw Satan fall, like lightning from heaven. So he refers to this demotion and exile of Satan as a fall from his position in heaven. He falls to earth. And Jesus in his ministry also made it very clear by both word and by deed that whatever authority Satan wields, whatever authority he has, it is not absolute. Absolute. Because he was able to override it. And his followers were able to override the authority of the demons and Satan. So, two points to consider. One, Satan can be overruled by God. And often is. But not all the time. Satan can be overruled by God. Here, you know, we have the example of Jesus who rebukes, he overrules, and he drives out demons. He does it multiple times. Why? Why does he do that? Wouldn't it be better to just, you know, collect money and hand it out to people? He does it to demonstrate something. And, as we just read, he gives that same power of overriding demons, overriding Satan, Satan. To his people. So you can resist and you can rebuke even the devil. You have that granted to you by Christ. You can rebuke demons and Satan. Do it in Christ's name, and he will flee from you. Another point to consider thinking of the scriptures that we just read like in in job and I hope you've read who has not read the story of job and Satan's accusations against him anyone not read it you should read it that's your assignment okay okay I love assignments yes gotta read that it's it's actually very important because it I'm going to tell you something. Satan has to get permission from God for anything he does to God's chosen people. Satan had to get permission before he could afflict Job. Now you've heard of this, the afflictions of Job. I hope. Right? Read the book of Job. The whole thing. All 40 chapters. Okay. Satan had to get permission before he could afflict Job. Here's another one, New Testament. Satan had to ask repeatedly that he might be allowed to sift Peter like wheat. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked multiple times to sift you like wheat. He wants to, you know, think of it. What does he want? He wants to uncover every weakness, go through in fine detail, to accuse Peter before God and to undermine Peter's faith. What rescued Peter? Christ's intervention. Now we're all looking forward to the time pictured by the Day of Atonement when Satan will be bound and restrained completely. When Satan will be bound. When the strong man will be bound and restrained completely. But those of us who believe and who are in Christ at his return... We have the power to drive Satan away now. To restrict his activities now. By calling upon the superior authority of God through Christ. So I say to you, call upon Christ to intervene for you. That's part of the model prayer that he gave us to think about. Call upon him to intervene for you. Now, by the time that Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit, into the abyss, and sealed over for a thousand years, those who are Christ at his return will have been resurrected. Okay, And at that point, they will be beyond any possible reach of Satan. They will not be under the threat of the power of death. Satan can't touch them. You'll be untouchable. The driving away and the binding of Satan, prophesied by the Day of Atonement, is for the sake of those who do not yet believe. That's why Satan has to be bound. That's why he has to be thrown into the bottomless pit, it's for the sake of those who do not believe. It's not for your sake or my sake by the time he's bound and and restrained, we'll have already been resurrected. So this is about the rest. Now, the verse we read from Luke, Jesus was referring to the fall of Satan, and he referred to it as a past event, did he not? He said, I've seen this, it's happened. What's going on there? Let's take a look at what I'm going to call the chronology of Satan's fall. The chronology. How how, how is this unrolling? Go to Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. We'll we'll end with the beginning. Or we'll we'll begin with the end. Whatever you like it. Matthew 25, verse 41 says this. Then he will say to those on his left, the conquering king, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That's the end where we're headed, okay? But Satan's fall does not all happen at once and I believe it's a point of confusion. I hope to clear it up and not cloud it. Instead of a singular event, there is a sequence of events that move relentlessly forward. Boom, 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 to the appointed time. To that day, and that moment, we're looking forward to. From the day and the moment when Satan chose to rebel towards the final day and moment when Satan is cast into the lake of fire, which is what is being referred to here. Even the binding of Satan for 1,000 years, let's put it in context here. Even the binding of Satan for 1,000 years, as prophesied in the Day of Atonement, That's only a stage. That's not the end. It's only a move forward headed towards the completion of Satan's fall. Go to Revelation 20. Take a look at verse 2. Revelation 20, verse 2. This is the parallel to the scripture we read in Leviticus 16, he, that'd be the the suitable man, seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him. Now drop down to verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog, Magog, gather them for battle, and in number they will be like the sand on the seashore. And they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. thrown into the lake of fire that has been prepared for him, as we read in Matthew 25. Now let's go, to, let's go back to Matthew in chapter 8, though, and verse 29. Jesus is here doing one of these casting out sessions of demons, casting these demons out from this poor man demonstrating his authority over demons, over Satan, all of them and in this instance something interesting comes out, very interesting and uh, you know in other places the demons are about to say stuff and Jesus tells them shut up but here's one, they say something, something blurps out and let's pick that up here. It's in verse 29. Okay, so he's, he's casting them out. And they yell out through the mouth of this man, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted, Have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? Before the appointed time. So there's a timetable. We're dealing with these beings. Satan's fall, because he's like the he's like the ringleader, so he's we're focusing on him, but all the demons are wrapped up in this. Satan's fall is moving forward. And it's moving forward in sure and measured steps. Boom. 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 Toward the appointed time. Like a modern court case. You know, when someone gets involved with the law. It's like being trapped on a conveyor belt, you know, and your arm is being dragged into the munching machine. And you know, I don't know if you ever worked in a manufacturing environment, but it's scary. I've seen people who've lost you know, fingers and stuff like that because you're just you can't escape. That's what it's like getting in, into it with the court system. So Stay away from the police, OK? <laughs> Be super polite. Try and get away from them as quickly as possible. A modern court procedure, procedure has a sequence. There's a, there's a sentence. Um, no, sorry, there's a sequence. You know, there'd be an arrest. There'd be confinement. There'd be hearings. There'd be an arraignment. Then there's a trial. Then there's sentencing. That's kind of a general outline. Then there's punishment. Let's take a look at that with Satan, okay? I've got five, five steps here. Step one, Satan's moment of rebellion appears to have occurred before Adam, This is the crime. And we read about that in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And I say that it's probably before Adam because by the time Satan appears on the scene to Eve, and he's talking with Eve, he has already become a liar. He's already in his heart and his mind to lie. He's already a murderer because he's saying things to them that he knows will cause them to, to have death. He's the accuser. He accuses God. He's the opponent of God. And he was at this point on earth, the place of his confinement. The actual crime was his rebellion against God, not the deception of Eve. Second step, Satan's fall moves forward at the time of Christ's coming. When Christ came in the flesh, something happened. Something moved forward. His life in the flesh and his death to pay the penalty for sin. Go to John twelve. John twelve verse thirty-one. Speaking of his impending death, Jesus said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the Prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus, in his life, his flesh and blood life, demonstrated his suitability to take over the dominion of the earth. He's going to do what Adam couldn't do properly. He is the second Adam who will fulfill his responsibility to have dominion over the earth without bowing to Satan. Go to John 16, verse 11. Speaking here about the work of the Holy Spirit, he brings this up again. He's talking about the Spirit which brings conviction of sin and courage to face sin, commitment to overcome, and so forth. And then in verse 11, it says, And the Spirit also is about judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now stands condemned. Now if you're reading in the King James, it might say judged. Does it say judged? Anyone? Yeah, okay. So we've got someone back there. Um, That's a terrible translation. Terrible translation. Uh, Condemned makes a lot more sense I've gone into this in great detail in the past. I'll just mention it briefly. The word here is "kreno," Greek word krino, okay, And it means bam! The passing of the sentence. Judgment is a different word. Crisis. Okay, and the, the scriptures are horrible. The NIV is just as bad. They're horribly inconsistent about how these are translated. But you know and I know that Judging something and condemning it are different things. You condemn something after you've passed, you know, after you've judged it and assessed it. Okay? That is why I say that what I do about the translation. Okay? What's happening here in this verse? What's he talking about? The condemnation. The official declaration of an end of Satan's time is being announced. And it is connected to the work of Christ that took place in 31 A.D., which is 1,980 years ago. Something happened. The case moved forward. Condemnation has been declared. Okay, where are we? Next one, third point. There appears to be a certain point where Satan's access to the heavenly throne room is cut off. Go to Revelation 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, and was hurled down to the earth, and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah." So we're getting down to the wire, folks. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you and he's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. The context here is the end, when the king comes, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah comes to earth. But it's not quite there yet. Satan loses his access to the heavenly throne room. It's terminated at some point. Do I know when that point is? No, I do not. Let's think about it, though. Satan and the demons, all right, they have known that they have a limited time to dominate the earth. We read about that when the demon spoke out when he was interacting with Jesus. Now, if so, no one knows but the Father, the exact time when Christ would return. Christ said that himself. He said, no one knows but the Father. So Satan and the demons probably, they, don't, they didn't know the exact date. They know it's a coming, but they don't know the date any more than Jesus knew it. They knew there was an appointed time, okay, when they would be removed from their position of power on earth, okay? Let's think about another aspect of this. Prophecy. And the demons know prophecy. Prophecy indicates that there are key events that must take place leading up to the return of Christ. So just like you and me, the demons might be looking at prophecy and when they see things lining up, they know what's going on. And they know... That when certain events come to pass, that access to God's throne room is going to be repealed. And when that happens, their time is very short. Another point. They're going to be mad. (laughs) Their anger and frustration and the anxiety at seeing their time coming to an end coincides with the end time sequence. The time is short when this all happens. And it leads to a time of tribulation, and persecution, and it's tied in with the final resurrection of the beast. And it's scary because they're mad. It's scary because they're mad. And here's an even scarier point. At the same time when this happens it appears that God no longer restrains Satan's activity. And that's scary. Because as bad as the world is now, and you might drive down the street thinking, man, this is a terrible world. I can hardly wait for the kingdom. Well, Satan's restrained right now. But God will lift the restraints. And there's a reason for that. I don't want to get into too many sidebars here. At this point, Satan's case will move forward as he grinds its way through the, the system. <laughs> his case will move forward yet again when Christ returns. Christ has died in the flesh. And he's risen to the fullness of eternal spiritual life. And he has been designated as uh, the God-ordained ruler over the earth. He is the one who went away to get his kingdom To return. He is the designated ruler over the earth. And he will be inaugurated into office at the appointed time. And the strong man will be bound. 100% for 1,000 years. Like I said, that's his first executive action. At least one of the first. And Satan's fall, this whole chronology will move forward. He'll be bound. But there's more, because there's a final step we read about. Satan's fall will be complete, and won't be complete, until he is thrown into the lake of fire after the 1,000-year period of Christ's rule. Now, I mentioned God's restraint on Satan. Let me talk about that a little bit more. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 19. Talking about Christ's work and His death, Peter mentions something that's interesting, and he doesn't really dwell on it, and doesn't give us a lot of a uh, lot of stuff to chew on. And I think God holds people back from, or holds the writer, the Scriptures back from saying too much. But if we look at First uh, Peter three verse nineteen, it says, "After being made alive, He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago." Satan is the prince of this world. The position that he currently holds on earth is subordinate to God. And the position that he has on earth is actually a form of punishment. We live in a prison. <laughs> we live in Satan's prison. If you Think about it. The earth is Satan's prison as his case works its way through the courtroom of God went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. They are confined to earth. This is their prison. Go to Second Peter 2, verse 4. Another little, sort of a, like a side comment that Peter makes. It says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now that's what it, it says that in the King James, right as well. Yeah, okay, so we don't need to read that. Okay, so this word hell. You might have heard someone talk about this, but this is a very interesting word. The word, the Greek word that translated hell is a word that is uh, the Greeks would use Tartaros. Tartaros. Not tartar sauce, Tartaros. Okay? Tartaros. Now, Tartaros, and he'll look up a biblical dictionary, it's going to say hell, which is somewhat of a circular reasoning. Actually, the word Tartaros is a word that was used in Greek mythology. And when the Greek myths talk about Tartaros, it is a place of exile and confinement. And it refers to the Titans of Greek mythology who are confined in Tartaros. So that's why the word is used here, because it's, to people who knew Greek, it means a place of imprisonment and exile. Not a subterranean cavern system under the crust of the earth. No, the, the prison of Satan, prison of the demons, is earth itself. Now Satan is here, on the material earth but he's he's a spirit and like all things spiritual we we can see we don't see them as Christ said like the wind but we see the effect of them okay so he's spirit to interact with the material world he primarily primarily works through human beings that's how he gets his stuff done through human beings now I believe that Satan does have the ability to afflict directly through sort of a direct manipulation of physical things like a virus or bacteria or natural disaster, you know, like with with Job. But I put it to you that the most important and spiritually deadly aspects of his dirty deeds are performed through human beings. Through people like you and me, if we let him. That's how he works in this world. Now, this this manner of working in the world is at work right now. I mean, we have to resist it, of course, but it's at work, and it has been from the very beginning. But it is especially pronounced at the time of the end, when he will work very powerfully through government officials and false religious figures. Go to Revelation 13, quickly. And Revelation 13, verses 1 through 4 say, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And it had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. And the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon... Satan gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority and one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound was healed and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast and people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast and they asked who is like the beast and who can wage war on it now drop down to verse 11 Then I saw a second beast. Now, the first beast, that that means government officials, the power, the military power, the police power. Verse 11 says, I saw a second beast coming out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. And it exercised all the authority of the first dragon on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast. That is false religious figures. Satan works through people. Sad. It's true. Don't let him work through you. Now go to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. We're going to talk a little bit about this man of sin, the man of lawlessness. I think it draws out this idea that Satan's working through people. Verses 1 through 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Christ Jesus and our being gathered together with him. Ah, so that's speaking of the time of Christ's return. That's when we're gathered together with him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, Saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So, as I mentioned, this is saying, this is kind of zeroing in on when is this happening? This is at the time of Christ's return, when those who are his are gathered to him. Key phrase verses 3 through 4 Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, who will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, although the spirit and the teaching of lawlessness is uh, a present throughout human history, as Paul says, you know, the, the, this, is, this is happening It's already at work among us. But in spite of that, this is telling us that there's this unique time of rebellion. Scary. It's in the future, and it's close to the time of Christ's return. It has to happen before Christ returns. A human being who works together with Satan as an opponent of God, teaching and legislating against God's laws, Another aspect, this is a human being who exalts himself over God. So Satan gets a human basically to replicate his own great sin. (laughs) Remember back where we started, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne. So he gets a human being to replicate his own grievous rebellion. going way back to the original evil that was uh, in Satan. And humanity accepts it. And they love it. They worship it. They worship this person, the beast. Now, verses 5 through 7. Don't you remember when I, Paul, was with you? I used to tell you about these things. And now you know what is holding him back. So there's this restraint. Paul's saying there's restraint holding this back. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. There is an appointed time. For well, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. The restraint that is upon Satan will be removed. And that leads us into some really awful stuff. Really awful stuff. The lifting of restraint leads to an all-out war on God. And this happens at the appointed time. And I think another interesting thing is, consider this, Paul taught about prophecy and he considered it important. He says, I've talked to you about this stuff. What's tantalizing about this is we don't really have a lot from Paul on prophecy. and. You know, you might think, well, Paul, no, he taught about grace, and he taught about faith, and, you know, by his own words, yeah, he, he taught about prophecy as well. He taught about all kinds of stuff. But he says here, I have taught you about this stuff. He considered teaching about prophecy important. Okay, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. That is the time that we talked together about on the Feast of Trumpets. That is the time when all the systems of human government and religion that are working together with Satan are exposed and overthrown by Christ at his return. Verse 9 through 11 The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works and he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing and they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. That powerful delusion is Satan himself. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So these human authority figures at the end time, they're they're basically puppets of Satan. And he works through them to produce powerful deception. And even though they're deceived, you know, and someone could say, well, I was deceived. All humanity is held responsible for acting in accordance with deception. What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to the day when Satan is bound. Are we not? Are we not headed into the holy day when we talk about that? The day of atonement. When the strong man will be bound. He will be restrained. He will not have access, and he will not have influence. Man, are things going to be different just by making that change. And that's why there's a holy day all about it. In order to have all the peace and all the prosperity and all the joy that's pictured in the Feast of Tabernacles, we must first have the complete binding and restraint on Satan, which is pictured and prophesied by the Day of Atonement. I'm sure you've thought about this before, but you have to have the Day of Atonement before you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why. Go to Matthew 12, verse 24. Jesus has cast out a demon and... People say, oh, well, he can cast out demons. Why? Because he's Satan himself, the prince of demons. And that's how he has authority over these demons. That's what people were saying about Jesus. And uh, verse 24, so when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, no, that's not how it works, guys. Every kingdom that's divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. Then how could his kingdom stand? I mean, what you're saying is just ridiculous. It's it's stupid. Then he says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, if I'm Satan, then by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. They'll be judged by this. But it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. And the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me give you an example again. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions until he first ties up the strong man? And then he can plunder his house. The day of atonement is the binding of the strong man. Christ returns to earth. He takes it all over. Takes it away. You have no more influence for a thousand years. He is coming as king of kings to bind the strong man, the powerful one who sows confusion and malice and opposition to God on earth. I've put it before you as a court case, if you will. The court case has been heard, the defendant has been found guilty, and he will be sent to prison.